After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. There we go. Yeah, baby. Hey, you got the power play. Get out of here. Hey. 36, right here for the rock. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Hey, hey. We're not doing this. I don't want to babysit all night. A little bit of nastiness today. Huh? Nothing good's coming out of this, big man. Have you seen this before? Yes, it's rule something, point something. He's not putting a stick in you. You keep your stick out of him. Here we go. Let's roll, boys. Let's go. Hey, 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 hey. Let's go. After further review, it's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Here's your hosts, Todd Lewis and Josh Smith. When you're ready, big guy. All right, guys, let's drop the puck. We are headed toward the All-Star break for the National Hockey League. Everybody's going to converge on South Florida. We've had some teams that will be starting their holiday break early as part of the CBA. Teams get an extra few days off kind of before or after the All-Star break. It got me thinking, Josh, I'm wondering, do referees and linesmen get spring break too, or is that something else that they miss out on? No, well, they they get the time. I mean, you're going to have four guys that are going to go to the All-Star game and get to enjoy South Florida with their families. And uh, from the officials I've talked to, All-Star games are always a highlight for them just because of the, the atmosphere and the celebration of what's going on there. I mean, they are a part of the game and it is an honor for the guys who are being recognized. Sometimes you see retiring officials in their last season. Sometimes you see guys who've had long careers. Maybe the game is near to their adopted home of wherever the official lives now. So it's a, a meaningful thing, but it, it's definitely an honor for these guys. Those four will get the busy, crazy weekend. A whole bunch of other NHL referees and linesmen will get a little bit of a break. They get to go home, spend time with their families. So nice for that. You know, usually get a few days off in a month, but not a lengthy stretch. So to have a gap like this, I'm sure they all appreciate it. The hard part falls on those AHL, NHL guys, the guys that split time between the American Hockey League and the National Hockey League, because, hey, your NHL schedule just freed up. So <laughs> we can put you to work down here, boys. <laughs> well, well, that's kind of what I was thinking, that it's great that, you know, you get two or three days of the All-Star break, but the the players also get an extra, was it three, four, oh, five yeah. days mandated that the officials don't. And if anybody could use it because they don't have any home games, it right. would be the stripes. Yeah. I mean, you do get some opportunities there. Typically, you'll see if you look at the schedule, the guys will get a handful of days off. So certainly they're they're going to do what they can to accommodate that. And some of the officials will be getting that longer stretch. Some will get some days off at the front end, some at the back end. But you've got to take advantage of the breaks when you can get them. We'll have to watch and see if anybody gets a, a lengthy stretch there. But, you know, they think they distribute the work. So even if it's a, a shorter spring break, even if it's a long weekend or an extended trip, maybe not as nice as what the players get, but we've, we've got games to work. Yeah, okay, all right. By the way, this is the Scouting the Refs podcast, and please make sure you follow our social channels. Get Josh at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and Instagram. For me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports, of course, on Twitter and Instagram as well. On this week's episode, more injuries for the guys in stripes. Val Mackey pays the price. Sweeping up, not all high sticks or penalties. There goes the net again. And what was the actual call? I, I mentioned... All-Star is coming up. The All-Star jerseys were revealed a couple of weeks ago, I guess now. The outfits that the Caps and the Canes will be wearing for the Stadium Series were unveiled last week. I still haven't seen any special unis for the officials, though. Isn't this really something that's an opportunity that's being missed, Josh? It is a bit of a disappointment. I, I think we've missed the opportunity. We know 
the striped jersey, it's iconic. Everybody can recognize the officials. There hasn't been much in the way of uniform changes over the years. They did make the jump from the narrow stripes to the wider ones that they use now. And we did have some changes where the orange was extended down the side of the arm. But the NHL has in the past shown a slight interest, dipping their toe into the water, the uniform changes. At one all-star game, we had the orange replaced by gray on the armbands, which was interesting, but I think that took away from one of the key parts of the uniform, so maybe not the best move. But why not? It's an all-star game, or it's a stadium series game. Try it. Change it up a little bit. We've seen some of the Heritage Classic games where they went back to the vintage sweaters, the the cream-colored sweaters, which was a cool look, and I don't see why you don't Give it a shot. Just try it out. Try something different. This is what they do. I mean, the Capitals are doing it. The Canes are doing it. Whether you love or hate the uniforms, you know, they're they're going for it. They're changing something up a little bit. And we've even seen it with some of the lower level games. I don't know if you saw the USA Hockey All-American game a couple weeks back. They changed up the officials there with uh, USA Hockey having a, a red, white and blue stripe integrated into the black and white stripes of the officials uniform. Again, just for one specific game. Some people loved it. Some people didn't. But it's a special game. It's an event. Try it. Why not? Come on. The NHL can take some risks. Especially since they've got the skills competition that's going to be out on the beach and involve golf and stuff like that. I'm thinking like full Tommy Bahama wear for the guys. Wouldn't that be fun? I, I think we could go for it. I mean, we could, you can either do the Miami Vice look. You can go with the, the, the shorts there. You can go all the patterned shirts and have some fun with it. It would really be nice if they included some of these officials in this, because I know we've, we've joked about officials competing and there are there are plenty of things that the officials could compete in at the All-Star game. But I'd love to see them include two officials in the fastest skater competition. And yes, maybe don't include referee Garrett Rank in the golf competition, because as a as a semi-pro <laughs> golfer, I think he wins that one hands down. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. Uh, before we go too deep, let's get a bit of an injury update on some of the officials. Francois Saint was working a game between the Kings and the Preds, skating backwards in the Nashville zone. Uh, he will be credited with one block shot now, but the, the shot he stopped, first of all, it was not from Paul Maurice, the uh, <laughs> Florida Panthers coach, but it was from Adrian Kempe of the uh, LA Kings in the second period. Saint Laurent left the game and did not return. I don't know if we have an update on him or some of the other injuries. I haven't heard anything on Saint Laurent or how he's doing. Obviously taking a shot off the inside of his left knee there. So it, it looked pretty painful. Not something that you want to take lightly. Uh, you know, obviously your your knee is a very sensitive spot. You can have a lot of damage there, but didn't get any word on the official injury to St. Laurent or a timetable for his return. So we'll be keeping an eye on him. Certainly with the All-Star break coming up, I feel like there's no need to rush guys back. You've got the games dropping off. You can cover with the officials you have. So if he needs a little extra time, this would be the time to find it. Also a good time for linesman Ryan Jackson, who's working his way back. If, as you remember, he he got tripped up and suffered a knee injury, reportedly a dislocated kneecap. So he's working his way back. We expect to see him returning to the NHL soon. So nice to see the rookie stripes returning to the lineup. And then linesman Travis Toomey with his very uh, publicized injury there, getting cut by the skate during the Capitals lightning game, reportedly received 10 to 12 stitches in his hand, left that game as well. No word on where he's at. It, it looked to be a pretty serious cut localized to the hand, but obviously you want to make sure he's getting the carry needs, getting the rest, getting the recovery, because once you're back out there, you, you don't want to re-injure or suffer any complications as a result. So as you mentioned before with the All-Star break, Todd, a good opportunity for at least these guys to definitely take some time off and hopefully continue their recovery. Yes, let's get them back on the ice soon, hopefully. 
The after-Christmas bill came due for Yuso Valimaki of the Arizona Coyotes, fined just under $4,200, of course the maximum allowable under the CBA, for slashing Anaheim forward Max Jones. The two collided in the neutral zone. I, I think Jones kind of caught Valmaki up high. He didn't care for it and gave him a good whack with his stick and now has to pay the $4,200. I, I think that's a reasonable punishment in this case. I think it is. It's... These are tough ones because I don't think the actual contact deserved a suspension, but I think these are the kinds of behavior that player safety wants to address. It's not a play on the puck. It's not anything where you're trying to gain body position or a territorial advantage or anything. You're specifically taking a frustrated whack at an opposing player, hopefully to uh, maybe not injure him, but you want to hurt the guy. You want to send a message. So it's too severe to sit for a game, but I'm, I'm glad they issued a fine in this case. It, it's frustrating, Todd, because I, these are the plays that you know you want to get out of the game, but I don't think you can justify a suspension for that. No, I I, I don't think so in this particular no. case. In the Florida Panthers-Pittsburgh Penguins game this past week, I caught something that was, I believe, missed by the officials. A, a great game, fun game, super high scoring. And in the third period with Pittsburgh on the power play, there was a flurry of chances in front of the Florida goaltender Alex Lyon, who, in the process of trying to stop about 50 shots, lost his stick. Pittsburgh forward Evgeny Malkin was positioned in front of the net and very discreetly swept that goalie stick out of the way and about 10 feet from the front of the crease. Correct me if I'm wrong, Josh, but I believe this is supposed to be a penalty. You are absolutely correct, sir. That is 100% a penalty. It's only a penalty, though, if you get caught. So I think Malkin did a great job of the accidentally on purpose. I'm I'm trying to move this away, but not drawing attention to it. So refs Wes McCauley, Brandon Blandina didn't spot that one, but it is 100% a penalty for interference. It's under Rule 56-2 for a player who uh, prevents a player who has dropped his stick or any other piece of equipment from regaining possession of it. Something that we see called, we've seen it called a few times earlier this year, but Malkin's move was sneaky enough to avoid the official's detections. Got away with that one. Yeah, it was very stealth. He just very slyly <laughs> shoved it uh, out of the way. We we had a couple of other game situations this week. I'm, I'm feeling a bit like a teacher who's kind of halfway through the year and thinking, gee, I think you you students should know this stuff by now, but maybe maybe we need a couple of refreshers. So let's let's start with the Montreal Canadiens game and the Detroit Red Wings. Habs defenseman Mike Matheson clips Lucas Raymond with his stick. He has bloodied the face of the Red Wing player. And at first, the, the Wings and their fans are wondering why and screaming outrage that there is no call. But as referee Francis Chiron explained to Derek Lalonde, that Matheson was shooting the puck. And on the follow-through, if you clip a player, it's not a penalty. This seems pretty straightforward to me. It is. It's It's been in the books for a while. I think folks sometimes forget when they see either the wind-up or the follow-through that it isn't necessarily a high stick. And it's clearly covered in Rule 60.1 that any contact that's part of the wind-up, the follow-through, or accidental contact on the opposing center during a face-off is not a high stick. That's where the accidental contact is permitted. You can't take a wild swing at the puck. You, know, you can't try to bat it out of the air, do a baseball style swing. None of that is considered a shooting motion, but Matheson was trying to shoot the puck down the ice. Now, I know some fans took exception to the fact that this wasn't a shot on goal. He was in the defending zone. The NHL rulebook is 
referring to shooting broadly. Shooting the puck down the ice would be included. Clearing the puck, any type of legal puck movement here where you've got control and possession of the puck and you're trying to push it forward. So yes, shooting the puck down the ice from the defensive zone is in fact a shot. Doesn't have to be a shot on goal. Doesn't have to be a scoring chance. But this was clearly follow through on legal puck movement and therefore no call. We need the Very refresher, simple. Todd. I'm surprised yes. we need the refresher. This. Well, but he, well, I'll give you another situation where we need a little refresher. This one involves the Arizona Coyotes and the St. Louis Blues. Nick Schmaltz had a very good night for the Yotes against the Blues. He shoots the puck to the Blues goal, looking for his third of the night, and the puck crosses the line. However, the net is off the pegs and initially is ruled no goal. However... Everybody sorted it out, and it was realized that it was Braden Shen who was the guilty party of pushing the net off, and the goal did eventually count for Nick Schmaltz. Again, we've seen this already. We have. It's come up a few times. It's it's come up where you've seen nets intentionally displaced or accidentally displaced, and who prompted the net to come off? Was it a defending player, an attacking player? Did a defending player foul an attacking player and cause him to knock the net off? So those are all the things they're looking for. We're also considering the original call on the ice. Now, this is a league-initiated review. The league is looking at every goal for these types of plays to see if the net was dislodged, if it was kicked in, if it was played with a high stick. It's not a situation where we've got a coach's challenge. You can't challenge for this. It's it's league review. And, and they got it right. We've seen the knocked-off nets goals. And in this case, we have an awarded goal because, like you mentioned, Braden Shen knocked the net off and the puck goes in. The criteria around awarding the goal in the situation is that the net was displaced by the actions of a defending player. The attacking player had an imminent scoring opportunity prior to the goalpost being displaced and that the puck went in where the net would have been. So between the goalposts, well, we met all the criteria and some folks were arguing online that it wasn't an immediate scoring opportunity, that Schmaltz didn't have the puck on his stick, that the puck was loose in the crease. I would counter that by saying that a goal was actually scored a second later. <laughs> I'm not sure how much more imminent of a scoring chance you can get. The goal actually happened. It's pretty imminent, and it was obviously a scoring chance because it resulted in a goal. So uh, to me, 63-7's nailing this one down that it is a, a slam dunk awarded goal, which was the call after video review. It's not like he circled back and passed it around a few times before popping it in the net, correct? Oh, sure, yeah. If he if he passes it out, if the puck goes to the corner, <laughs> that's that changes things up a little bit. But when you've got the puck right there, you've got an attacking player attempting to make a play on it, and the puck goes in, I, I would say that qualifies as an imminent scoring chance. So, yeah, good goal. Okay, we'll count that one. And good for Schmaltz. He eventually got the, the hats on the ice. It just took a little while oh, for, that's the, the for the ruling to cut. I know, it's, it's disappointing, I but mean, good it, that... It's I guess it's better. It's better to have the weight and then you get to throw the hats than the throw the hats and then the goal oh, gets waved yeah. off. Uh, there's nothing worse than that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's happened a few times. That's probably my least favorite thing about the review process or the coaches challenge is getting that hat trick goal. The hats come raining down and Anaheim is challenging the call. <laughs> Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, that's that's disappointing all around. Okay, here's another weird one. Well, not really so weird, but it caused a lot of confusion and maybe it caused a lot of avoidable confusion. In the Winnipeg and Buffalo game, Dylan Cousins is rushing the puck up the ice. Jets defenseman Nate Schmidt is pursuing and tries to get a body on him, misses, but on the flyby, swings his arm up and catches Cousins kind of with his gloved hand and end of the stick, and Cousins is a bit wobbly afterwards. Play gets stopped. He gets to the bench. Now, a lot of the kerfuffle 
about how the penalty was called resulted here. During a TV timeout, the refs began a review and there was some confusion about the call. So let's kind of go through this in steps because there seemed to be confusion by fans, by broadcasters about the review that was taking place. I guess maybe we just simply have to say just because there isn't an announced penalty doesn't mean that no penalty has been called. You're exactly right, Todd. And it's frustrating because there absolutely should be. And if we're looking at what the NHL typically shows us in situations is that we do have a penalty announcement prior to any review, just like we we should have a goal announcement prior to any goal review. And I think that's what started the whole thing. The officials do have the ability, and I think that's what happened in this case, to discuss the situation after the stoppage in play and assess penalties. They can't do it via video review. They can do it with a conversation of the four officials on the ice. So perhaps you have a situation where one referee got a look at it, didn't realize what happened, didn't realize there was a penalty or or anything serious enough to call a penalty on the play where maybe the trailing ref or even one of the linesmen says, you know what, I did have a good view of it. I saw what happened on the play. It looks like elbowing and, and I think it's a major penalty. The linesman can absolutely report major match penalties to the officials and have those penalties assessed. So going through this, we didn't see an arm shoot up. We did have a stoppage in play that accompanied a TV timeout. So you had an extended period where the officials could talk about the play. When we came out of that, it looked like they were at the review. So what happened, and and just judging by how the call went and what happened in this place and even some of the post-game comments, is that the officials got together and decided that it was a major penalty. They were calling a major penalty on the play, and that is what prompted them to then take a look via video review. And that's the only situation. Majors, matches, and a double minor for high sticking. Those are the only times you can review a penalty. So the call on the ice would have had to have been that this is a major penalty and we're going to video review. Had they simply said that before they put on the headsets, we may not have had the confusion that that erupted around what happened in this situation. And I think this is the the difficulty. Rick Bonus, the Jets coach, said that Gord Dwyer explained to him that initially it looked like an elbowing major penalty. It wasn't an elbow that uh, clipped Cousins, so it was called two for roughing. I think the appropriate call in this set of circumstances, but... As we mentioned, that communication seems to be the the real piece of the puzzle that's missing here. And you mentioned if if they call or announce the penalty, even if you did it during the TV break when some of the audience is away, if the announcers are paying attention, 50-50 there sometimes, but if the announcers are paying attention, then they'll they can explain to their audience that, okay, while while the, we were in break, the referees ruled that it was a major penalty. It's now under review. It gets rid of the confusion and you can call it whatever you want whether it's transparency in the process if it's clarity for fans if it's butt covering i don't care what you call it but everyone is included in the process and understands what's going on it helps eliminate the conspiracy theories absolutely and it also establishes where we're starting from when it comes to video review because we've had situations where maybe there's not enough evidence and they have to go back to the call on the ice regardless whether it's a penalty whether it's goal goaltender interference It'd be great to know what the call on the ice was every time. And I think that's a reasonable expectation that we get. The call on the ice was a goal. They're challenging for goaltender interference. Or in this situation, you know what? After discussion, the call on the ice is a major penalty for elbowing. 
we're going to review the play and confirm the call. So I, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I, if I'm the NHL and uh, well, I don't know where I'd start with the changes, but I think this is the simplest one is, hey, guys, can you just get on the mic and announce the penalty? I mean, they should be doing it and it's practice for them to announce the calls. But making sure that they make that announcement prior to any video review would sure solve a lot. And uh, one thing I thought was interesting, Todd, they, the NHL officials have the ability when they review a play and it, it is entirely up to them. Situation Room does not weigh in on penalty reviews. That's up to the referees. But they now, as of this year, have the ability to change the call. So not only if they look at it and see it's not an elbow, in the past it used to be they can either downgrade it to a minor penalty. Now they can downgrade it to a minor penalty, wave it off completely, or change the call. So they're not stuck with elbowing, if elbowing was the original infraction. And I, I did see, hear from a few fans who were confused of, you know, why is it roughing? It looked like he got him with the butt end of his stick. That's up to the official's determination as well. Butt ending is obviously much more severe and rarely called. It's one of those ones, much like a spear, where you get a double minor for attempting it. And if you make contact, it's a major penalty. So it's a much more severe call. And you're really looking at intent there to see if the guy was trying to do it. When in this case, I think roughing, as you mentioned, was the right call. It's a, it's a glove to the face. Yes, he's holding the end of his stick. A scary moment, but not one that I think is more than a minor penalty. You know the rule book far better than I do. And the NHL, though, likes to have procedures for everything. They like everything to be buttoned down. Would it be simply putting into the rule book that the procedure for calling a penalty is at the stoppage in play? You make an announcement about what the call is. I think that's the simplest way to fix it. I think it's a great starting point. I mean, you don't have to be Wes McCauley and, and be demonstrative and exaggerate and have fun with it. You can just keep it simple. But yes, I think... We need to start there with the the expectation for fans, broadcasters, coaches, everybody else is, look, at the very least, you got to give us an announcement for every situation, every penalty that's called, every goal that happens. Let us know what the call on the ice is prior to video review. And I think that's where the, the gray area is because we're used to penalties being announced. But when there's the review process, maybe there's a feeling of, well, I'm going to hold off until we figure out what the call is. And that's not what the protocol should be. There has to be a call on the ice. League requires that the officials come up with a call on the ice that is either then confirmed or changed via video review. So they have to have one. I think it should absolutely be required that they announce what that call is prior to anything that's going to review, change, or modify the call. I, I think it would be nice to have everyone on the same page. It rarely happens in life. If we can do it in this one small corner, I think that would be good. Todd, we've, we've, we've got an NHL rulebook that's over 234 pages long. <laughs> you want people on the same page. I'm not even sure they're in the same book. <laughs> We're done! Good job! You're good, my book. Good stuff, man. Way to work. Yeah, we're good, man. Too long. Let's go sit for a couple. Get in the box. It's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Read more at scoutingtherefs.com. Follow Scouting the Refs on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Scouting the Refs. Email the show at heyref at scoutingtherefs.com. Subscribe, share, and keep those sticks down. Okay. That's, uh, nicely done. That's good work.